I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female, where every week I speak with women changemakers who are redefining the rules of female leadership. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. This week, we're doing things a bit differently. We just launched a new podcast produced by us at the Brandy's Female Studios. It's called Maple Popcorn, and this week's episode is quite exceptional. So I thought I'd share this interview with all of you over here. You will meet Elmaya Tellfeathers and Tracy Deer, two Indigenous women filmmakers from Canada who are rewriting the rules when it comes to representation for Indigenous people and for women in mainstream media. This podcast is hosted by the wonderful Mariska Fernandez, and I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did, which we aired on Indigenous Peoples Day and during Indigenous History Month this June. I will be back next week with a new episode of The Brand is Female, and in the meantime, here is Maple Popcorn. I'm Mariska Fernandez. Welcome to the Maple Popcorn Podcast. In this series, you will discover exclusive interviews with Canadian icons and hear them talk about Canadian flicks and even break the fifth wall to share set anecdotes. This podcast is produced by The Brand is Female and powered by Telefilm Canada. Today I'm speaking with two important voices who are making their mark on the Canadian film landscape by bringing to the screen stories inspired by their communities and anchored in social justice. Tracy Deer was born and raised in the Mohawk community of Ganawage in Quebec, and she is an award-winning director, producer, and writer who recently made her narrative feature debut co-writing and directing the coming-of-age film Beans. You're gonna have to leave. We are leaving, right after we pay for our groceries. Your kind are not welcome here. Excuse me? What the f- did you just say? Yeah, wait a minute. Uh, hey, Adam, these are my friends and my kids. We need this food. We have money. I'm sorry, Lily. You have to leave. Elamaya Tailfeathers is a writer, director, producer, and actor who is a member of the Kainai First Nation of the Blood Tribe, Blackfoot Confederacy, as well as Sami from Norway. She began her filmmaking career in 2011 with the experimental short Bloodland. Her award-winning films have screened at festivals around the world. Her latest feature-length documentary project tells the story of her own community's brave response to the ongoing opiate crisis, and it premiered just a few weeks ago. Nestled in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, Kainai is the largest reserve in Canada. Beginning in 2014, fentanyl flooded the illicit drug trade on the reserve. This new reality has forced our community to approach addiction in radically different ways. Here's our conversation. Elmaya and Tracy, it's a pleasure welcoming you to Maple Popcorn. So I'm going to peel back the layers and start to get to know you too. So let's start from the very beginning. Who or what inspired you to pursue a career in film? Tracy? Uh, I wanted to be a filmmaker ever since I was 12 years old. Uh, I also lived through the Oka crisis at that same point. And movies at the time had just become available in our living rooms uh, through the old-fashioned VHS player. And... Watching movies was medicine for me. It was an escape. 
it was a safe place to feel my feelings. It was a place, it was a way to explore um, and, and learn about the world and learn about what I, how I feel about my place in the world. So I, I just, watching movies was my favorite thing. And after a particularly good movie, I was very inspired by, and I, I thought that's what I want to be when I grow up. And I would tell my parents at the dinner table that this is the movie I watched and this is what happened. And I want to be just like that person. And then the following week would come and I would watch a new movie and I would get inspired in a new way and tell them at dinner time, I've changed my mind. I watched this movie and this week I want to be this. This went on for a while. And after, after a couple of months, it dawned on me that if I made movies, I would get to experience all of these stories. I would get to put put I would get to put these characters out into the world and and maybe a story I tell will reach a little girl out there who will then become inspired to follow a path, her dream. And it just made so much sense to me at, at 12 years old that like that is the ultimate coolest job ever in the whole wide world. So I told my parents at dinner, this time I really know what I'm talking about. I wanna become a director when I grow up. And once again, they said, okay, honey, that's great. But I started crying and telling them, no, I really, really mean it. I'm really serious this time. And I could be a little intense um, in my passion sometimes, but they were, and they're always, <laughs> my family has always been a bit intimidated by my passion, by my sensitivity. And so they were like, no, we really mean it. It's great, great, honey. And uh, I never deviated since then. I started writing scripts at 12. I would save up my allowance to rent um, a video camera that was practically the size of my own, my own 12 year old body. Um, and I would, boss around the neighborhood kids. And I've been doing it ever since. So it's been it's been 30 years, I like to say, that I've been a filmmaker. What about you, Elmaya? Uh, well, I can say it's only been 10 years for me. <laughs> uh, I, um, I uh, growing up, we didn't have a lot of money. Uh, and film was always uh, an escape for me. Um, uh, on the weekends, my, my parents would uh, take us to like the cheap matinees and my younger brother and I would sometimes you know sneak into a second film so we do the double bill but only pay for one um, and yeah I just I've just always loved film um, it was also a way for me just to connect with with my family um, a way for you know uh, my dad and I didn't really you know have a lot of deep conversations but we could connect over film um, and I, I didn't know of really any Indigenous women filmmakers growing up. Like, you know, you can't be what you can't see. Uh, the only person I knew of was Alanisa Bomsawin. And so I didn't even really think that that becoming a filmmaker was a viable career, that it was even a possibility for someone like me. Um, and so I figured acting would be the, the way to go. Um, so I was growing up, I was always involved in the arts in, in different capacities. And um, uh, at the age of 19, I decided that I wanted to move out to Vancouver and study acting and, and work in film in that way, that that would be my way in. Um, and so I went to Vancouver Film School and studied acting there and then ended up acting in film and TV and had all of these like tiny bit parts uh, where you'd see me on screen for like 30 seconds. Um, and 
grew very jaded with the industry as an indigenous woman, as a racialized person, um, for all of the obvious reasons. Um, and so my grandparents are, uh, they're both residential school survivors, um, and post-secondary education wasn't really an option for them. Uh, and so they've kind of like pushed, uh, always pushed for, for our family to, to pursue post-secondary education. And so my family's very well educated for, for that reason. Um, and my grandparents, my, especially my grandmother would always kind of like ask, you know, when are, when are you going to go back to school basically and do something real? They weren't really impressed with the fact that I'd gone to Vancouver to study acting. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I went back to school. I, I, uh, went to UBC and I studied First Nations and Indigenous Studies and I, um, did a minor in Women's and Gender Studies and it was while I was there that I was able to really put into context why I was so frustrated with the industry as an actor, um, especially as an Indigenous woman. And, um, you know, I finally understood that there's a long history of misrepresentation of of Indigenous peoples in, in cinema. Um, and I was able to make a short documentary instead of handing in a paper for one class and it was a terrible documentary it was about indigenous representations of or representation of indigenous of indigenous women in film um and i like shot it on a camcorder and edited it with imovie um but that moment was transformative for me because i finally had narrative agency and was able to create something behind the camera that um had meaning and value to me um, and that was sort of the catalyst for, for, um, taking a completely different direction. Uh, and so, yeah, it's been, uh, 10 years since I kind of made my first, uh, I, w I don't count that as a film, <laughs> but it's been 10 years now since I made my, my first sort of, uh, film that played at festivals and, and, um, yeah, so that's how it happened. <laughs> I feel like I need to see this film. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one needs to see it. <laughs> So let me tell you that the two of you are inspiring so many people, the young minds, to share their stories and become filmmakers. And I can tell you that for sure because your films have stayed with me long after watching them. So I want to know, what is there a film, a film by a fellow female filmmaker that has kind of stayed with you like that to have that kind of impact on you? Wow. So I get asked that a lot. You know, what what are your favorites? Who are your influences? Um, I, I also went to university and my degree is in film studies. So I really, four years of digging into the history of film and there's so much good out there and there is so much bad out there as well. Um, and so I have grabbed influences from from so many films and I, I do find it very hard to just name one or three. So I'm never good at answering that question. I'm so sorry. That's okay. <laughs> what about you, Amaya? Yeah, same. I'm terrible at answering that question. Um, uh, it was when I was in university that I was like, ex that I was exposed to this incredible archive of Indigenous film and media. Um, and Tracy's films were actually really formative for me, um, especially Club Native and uh, uh, was it called Mohawk Girls? The the documentary as well. Yeah. Okay. So there was a documentary before the TV series called Mohawk Girls, and both of those films um, were really transformative for me. Um, 
And I, I would say in terms of like films that have like really stuck with me and influenced me, uh, I think one of the first films where I remember uh, watching uh, a film being directed by a, a woman um, that really changed my understanding of how films can be made um, was actually Deepa Mehta's Water. Um, I was in my early 20s when that came out and I remember just watching it and thinking, wow, this is like a, a cinema that's very, uh, that's made on a very like felt level, emotional level. It's visceral and um, is made with love and care and humor and um, just felt like it came from a very different place from a lot of the films that I was watching at that time. Um, another one that really influenced me is is very obvious, like uh, important film in, in film canon was Alanis Obamsuin's Ganesatake, 270 Years of Resistance. And I think all Indigenous filmmakers feel that that's a, a really important film. Um, because yeah and you lived through that Tracy and and it was really profound to to watch Beans um and to know that it, you were speaking from a, a place of lived experience in, in making that film um so yeah I would say those are films that had a profound impact on me as well as uh uh um Christine Welsh's Finding Dawn which is a documentary about uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women, particularly, uh, specifically in the, the downtown east side of, of Vancouver, where, where I live. Um, and I felt like it was just a, a really beautiful portrait of a story that is a very hard story to tell, but was done in such a respectful, um, ethical, compassionate way um, that didn't simply sensationalize the, the violence that was happening, but also uh, spoke from a place of activism and, and social justice. So, yeah, those are some films <laughs> that influenced me. <laughs> that is a good list. Since you mentioned Tracy's work, what would you say is, uh, what is it that you admire about her as a filmmaker or as an artist or even as an Indigenous woman with her body of work? Uh, well, with both with Club Native and Mohawk Girls, um, what, I th what I think is so special about those films is um, Tracy's bravery and the way she just kind of is like unrelenting in the way that she she tells stories and um, puts her community almost under a microscope in a very uh, respectful caring way um, so Club Native obviously speaks about some really complicated politics within her community and I thought that she addressed it in a way that was so respectful and ethical and caring but also brave because um, you know, it can be really, really hard to talk about divisive issues within your own community because you can't turn away from that community at the end of the day. You know, you, you, that those are your people, that's your family, that's the place you come from. Um, and there's a certain degree of accountability that we all uh, have to live with as Indigenous filmmakers, especially when we're making films about our own communities. Um, so I felt like both of those films were an excellent example of approaching really complicated, complicated, often divisive subjects um, with care and compassion and humor as well. Like I remember laughing a lot through both films and just really enjoyed, like I felt like both of those films were made um, first and foremost for Tracy's community, but also for indigenous uh, communities as a whole. And um, I remember watching both of those and feeling like, wow, 
these films were made for people like me. And um, it's really rare that you have that feeling, I think, as, as Indigenous people. And I think just marginalized people in general, it's really rare that you can watch a film and know that it was made for you. And so I think that was kind of um, what was so transformative about both of those films. Thank you. Can I just say thank you so much? I um, I very rarely get to hear uh, people talk about my work or um, hear comments about my work. And so um, I'm just so, so touched by everything you just said. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Tracy. Well, thanks for your work. <laughs> it's so brave and important. And yeah, uh, yeah. No, I'm going to cry quite a lot this week. <laughs> As a, as a woman of color myself, I understand how difficult it is to get your voice heard, to make these movies, to get your stories across. Um, but as women and as indigenous women, I can't imagine what you had to encounter while you both were trying to make a name for yourself in an industry where women and BIPOC are so underrepresented. So which brings me to just asking about your, ch to talk about a bit about your challenges that you faced while you were trying to make a name for yourself before a couple of years ago, I would say. Yeah. Um... So definitely massive challenge to be a woman in this industry, but then to add on being an Indigenous woman in this industry. But the thing is, it's a challenge to be an Indigenous woman in this world. So I do think that I it, it didn't seem so different than everyday life um, to be heard, to be seen, to be understood, uh, that that fight has been really like baked into my very identity as a Mohawk woman. Um, the Oka crisis was just one moment where I learned that on a very grand scale. But I think as Indigenous people, we're, we're, we're dealing with that on a daily basis. And if we're not directly dealing with it, we see our sisters or brothers dealing with it and that affects us. So I think in that way, coming into this industry and being told no, or seeing the, the insurmountable odds, if anything, was just fuel to the fire. Um, I, I, I don't like being told no. I don't like being um, shut out. I, I had rocks thrown at me as a little girl, and that made me feel so unimportant and so worthless. And it's been my mission in life to, to counter that and, and really prove everyone wrong, pre prove those people with those rocks wrong, but also do what I can to make sure that that never happens to another Indigenous child. So I think being an Indigenous woman has uniquely armed me to sort of come into this industry. And no matter how many doors were closed or how many times I fell on my face, uh, that resiliency of my people just allowed me to continue to get up and continue marching forward to to achieve this dream um and there, and there's there's been plenty there's there's been the sexism there's been the racism there's been the the ageism um for the longest time i looked like i was 17 years old so there's times where i would have got i got to set on the first day and crew members male crew members who were maybe 20 years older than me uh big smiles welcoming me hello uh and they say you know um so are you are you the are you an intern are you are you a pa like who are you and then i'd say oh no i'm the director and then all of a sudden that friendliness just completely goes away um 
And I learned very quickly to to choose my teams very carefully and to vet them uh, way beyond just a very impressive resume, you know? So you 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 learn as you go and then you you start applying it and uh, you 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 watch who you work with you find good partners i've i've almost predominantly worked with women and uh, you get stronger and stronger as you go so that's that's i think my answer to that question but it's still it's still a challenge and i don't know that it it will ever not be a challenge because as soon as we finish one piece of work we're right back at the starting point of, of, of coming up with the new ideas and needing to get people on board with those ideas, right? So it's I'm definitely in a different playing field now, but I don't know that it's, I wouldn't say it's easier. So let me tell let me ask you this. You mentioned that you don't you don't like hear, getting told no. Um, but now that you've made a name for yourself, do you still are there deals that are still not swung open? Do you still hear no? So I'm currently at the phase now figuring out what is next. Um, I've, I've, I've currently produced all of my dream projects. All of my passion projects are now out in the world. What I, I set out to do those 20 years ago when I first officially started in the business was 20 years. I, I wanted to do documentary. I wanted to do TV. I wanted to do feature. And I've now done that. Um, Mohawk Girls was a big heart project, the series, big heart project. And Beans was a project that I wanted to do way back when I actually lived it. It was the dream project. And now that that's there, all of these, it's all checked off on sort of the creative bucket list. And I'm now in a period where it's it's coming up and figuring out what is next for me. And I'm figuring that out. And then it will be, you know, the same old process of going out to speak with producers, to speak with networks and see to see what people think of my next ideas. Um, So I don't know. I don't have a very definitive answer yet for you, Um, but hopefully I will. I will soon. You'll know soon if if you see what's happening next for me. Awesome. What about you, Elmaya? Uh, Well, Tracy's uh, Tracy's like one generation. before me in terms of, of the filmmaking trajectory for the Indigenous film community. And I uh, directly benefit from the work of, of people like Tracy. Um, we made The Body Remembers When the World Broke Open uh, at a time when Canadian funding bodies um, were finally sort of um, being held accountable for 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 um, being gatekeepers and not um, being willing to offer the same resources to our community as they were to the sort of general public uh, by that I mean like white men <laughs> um, and so there was a ton of advocacy work that happened from within the indigenous film community um, many people were involved in that work to um, to push for funding bodies like telefilm and the national film board um, to make changes to uh, the resources that 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 are made available um, to indigenous creatives um, and so when we made the body remembers when the world broke open um, we were one of the first uh, films to benefit from the telefilm indigenous stream. Um, and so 
I can definitely say that I've it, I've encountered numerous barriers within the work that I do as a as an indigenous woman, but I can also say that um, I am directly benefiting from the work of of people like Tracy from um, the groundwork that they laid for for my generation of filmmakers, um, and so it's been kind of interesting to to be able to be um, I guess on the cusp of of all of that. Um, of all of that groundwork that was that was laid for for my generation, um, but in terms of barriers, um, I would say kind of the general stuff that I think all women face in in our work, but in particular uh, racialized women or indigenous women, um, which is just like a, a questioning of our abilities, um, general like misogyny that we face within the industry, uh, usually. Uh, technicians, you know, cinematographers, sound people uh, who've been in this industry for a long time and don't necessarily um, just have a lot of internalized misogyny and don't don't trust that we know what we're doing or are capable of, of doing the work that we're doing. And so like Tracy, I'm really careful about um, the crews that I build and, and the people that I work with. Um, and that's also involved um, thinking about it through a racialized lens um like tracy said it's it's um challenging to exist in this country as an indigenous woman woman altogether um but we do have to consistently draw strength from our communities from the, the people and the places we come from because there's a reason why we are still here um and so in terms of challenging those barriers from a racialized lens that generally means like um on Gimabi on Bitsin, the meaning of empathy, my, my latest documentary, as well as The Body Remembers When the World Broke Open, we implemented um, anti-racism or anti-oppression training with our whole crew. Um, we tried to like take a step back and think about how we were making both of these films as a as a process how how are we not reflecting traditional extractive forms of filmmaking how were we um how how was i as a blackfoot and sami person implementing my my teachings into the work that i do and so with gimabi bits in in particular um the film is about my community's response to the opioid crisis and looks at harm reduction through an indigenous lens. And Ginmabi Bitsin is a Blackfoot teaching that means to have empathy or compassion for those that need it most and to think about empathy and compassion as, um, as survival mechanisms. It's how we move forward as a people and a community. And so I taking that teaching um, and thinking about it as through harm reduction and, and substance use disorder, I, I then took that teaching and thought about it uh, in terms of filmmaking. How can I, as a filmmaker, implement Gimabi Bitsin in all of the work that I do? How can I care for my crew, my community, the people who are participating in my film, and how can I care for myself um, from a very uh, grounded perspective that comes from the people and the places that I, that I come from? Canadian films really do have it all. For more Canadian film inspo, head to telefilm.ca slash seeitall and browse film collections available on your favorite streaming platforms. Choose among iconic classics and new releases right at your fingertips. And if you're enjoying hearing from some of our most famous filmmakers and rising stars, don't forget to subscribe to the Maple Popcorn Podcast on the platform of your choice.
Speaking of your latest documentary, Gima Pripitsen, it features a story that really hits close to home for you with your mom, Dr. Esther Tailfeathers, leading the charge against the fight against opioid crisis. So that was definitely, I feel like it must, I can't imagine it was a personal story for you. It came from your, back from your hometown. And so what was your experience like making a movie that's, that's so personal? Uh, it it was hard. <laughs> um, it was one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had, but it was really, really hard. Um, I, I consistently had to self, you know, interrogate myself. You know, it, it, there's a huge uh, amount of power and privilege that comes with being the filmmaker, um, especially when you're telling the stories of vulnerable people. Um, and I had to consistently remind myself that it's such a privilege that these people were generous enough to, to offer their stories and their time. Um, and it's a massive responsibility to be able to, uh, to, to represent an entire community in a two hour long documentary. Um, and so it was a, a really challenging process in terms of like, how do I, um, how do I honor this concept of narrative? sovereignty or narrative agency as a filmmaker um, and and how do I do so in a way that takes care of my community and my crew um, how do I honor the multitude of voices and experiences from within my community so that I'm not just presenting like a monolithic idea on the screen um, because harm reduction is a very divisive um, topic within our community and um, and I think people like Tracy have done a really great job of like putting up uh, these complicated conversations on the screen for us to 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 look back uh, on ourselves as, as a sort of a mirror um, in a way that, you know, isn't uh, scrutinizing people for for opinions that they have very valid reasons uh, for carrying um, because it comes from lived experience. And so, yeah, it was this consistent like self-interrogation and navigation of like uh, honoring people's lived experiences, their stories, their opinions, um, honoring my community in in a way that um, that really challenged the common representations that we see of my community on screen, um, especially when it comes to like the news media. Um, there were often these like very problematic kind of like trauma porn type representations of, of my community. Um, Southern Alberta, the prairies as a whole are very racist places, but I think it's fair to say that there's racism everywhere across Canada and it's very much normalized and ingrained in, in the way that this country operates. Um, and so I had all of that to kind of challenge and, um, and I love my people and my community um, with all of my heart and so it was a huge honor to go home and and to work with my community and show the strength that exists in my community and to be able to show the outside world that um, sorry it's been a hard week uh, um, yeah it's been a hard week um, but it was a huge honor for me to be able to go home and um, and just show that like our community is strong and our community is capable of finding solutions uh, with so few resources um, and that we didn't we didn't come up with these problems we didn't 
it's these these problems are not our fault, but we are coming up with the solutions. And so all of that was there in, in the, the five-year-long process of, of making this film. Of, um, yeah, just pouring um, my heart and soul into, into this community that has given me everything that I am. Um, and yeah, it was hard, but it was also uh, one of the best experiences of my life. And I, I just want to continue to make work that um, is grounded in in love for my community and um uh and honors the the strength and beauty of of who we are as a people and i just say that it was such a beautiful eye-opening documentary but you took such a gentle approach on to even talk about such a tragic situation such a complex heartbreaking situation that's actually happening right now and my favorite moment for me personally was when it's explained that gima pitsen is a blackfoot word that really means kindness and empathy to each other as a means of survival and i'd never even thought about something like that before or even had it explained on screen and that that is the community's harm reduction to treat addiction with kindness and i thought that was so beautifully done so well explained that yeah it's i just have to say congratulations you did such a fantastic job and i'm getting so emotional but yes (laughs) (laughs) well thank you yeah it's i i just had the community to uh you know they they're the ones doing that work um they're the ones responsible for all of that and i was just the filmmaker who had the honor of being able to document it and show everybody what's happening there because it's so important. Tracy, you made a film that, again, that's the one that made us cry too. It's it's about something that hit equally home, equally close to home for you, the Oka crisis in the 90s. And that truly marked generations, several generations in Quebec and beyond. And you come from Kahnawake, which was the epicenter of the conflict at the time. And you grew up witnessing the aftermath of that event. I can't even imagine how difficult and cathartic it was for you to put that heavy film together. You pick the right words. Um, it, it, just like, I, I swear, Elmaya, I could take your answer and, and just say what she said, because it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, it's also something I'm, I'm so proud of on so many levels, you know, this, I was a I was a 12-year-old girl with this crazy dream who had gone through such trauma that summer that did lead to a very dark adolescence and and over the years there were so many people telling me that my dream was was stupid it was crazy and and that that was the outside world that was the message I was being given by the outside world that um the expectations for me were just so dismal as an indigenous person but I also got some of that messaging with within my community um, from from certain people, and to have hung on to it uh, and hung on to that dream and persevered through all of that, I, I'm I'm so I'm so proud of that little girl, and that you know here we are thirty years later and we did it we we made the movie and and what we've gone what we went through is now out there for for everyone to see and that's that for me is where the the healing and the the catharsis comes from um in all of my years growing up like becoming the woman that i am 
I've realized a big part of what that little girl needed was to be seen and to be heard and to be cared about. And part of making this film and putting it out there answers all of that. Um, and I, the last piece, the, the piece of it to be cared about, that's the piece that is out of my hands. That is, that is in the hands of the audience who see this film and I hope go back out into the world as our allies and, and want to do what they can to make things different so that, so that our, our kids now are cared about and that they have a different trajectory for their future. They feel safe, their dreams matter anything is possible for them like that is not the message that we grow up with and that really needs to be the message that we grow up with as well the rest of canada gets to have that um we we need it as well so so in so many ways um i feel so content as as a filmmaker as a mohawk woman to to be in this moment to have to have done that and and again it, it took a long time it took about eight years to write that script because i was so afraid because of 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 the resistance to go back to all of that trauma i didn't realize how well i had compartmentalized it and tucked it away so pulling it back up was just something I did not want to do. Um, so, so the writing process took a very long time until, until we finally got to a script where I thought, this says everything I want to say, and let's, let's go and make this. And then very quickly, the funding agencies came on board, and I do have to, I do have to give a shout out, just, just to go back to your previous question. In the 20 years that I've been working, I have seen a massive shift happen in our industry. And, and we are in the middle of an incredible moment right now, finally, and it's very exciting. So, so I, I, I don't think that it's, it's the same as, as when I started 20 years ago. Um, projects are flying at me, you know, executives are asking, Tracy, come to us first with your new idea. So it's definitely different. Back, back in the beginning, it was, oh, go to APTN, go to APTN. And I love APTN. I am here because of APTN. Um, my generation of filmmakers, like we are where we are now because of APTN. And and I think our, our community across the country as Indigenous people, like we have a national community because of APTN. Um, but it's not okay to just, again, relegate us to one side. Like we need a presence. We need a presence everywhere because we are everywhere. Absolutely. And I think it's really well deserved because I want to say congratulations on your recent wins at the Canadian Screen Awards. You picked up the John Dunning Best First Feature Film as well as Best Motion Picture. So I can't imagine how does it feel to have your work recognized like this? Again, it's it's a dream come true. It's it's I'm I'm honestly still processing. Um, you know, that little girl who felt so unimportant for the longest time did chase achievement as a way to um, feel like she mattered. So for the longest time, these awards, these awards meant everything um, to me to, in regards to my self-worth. But over the, over the last 10 years, I would say, I've been doing a lot of my own work and a lot of my own healing. And now, now an award like this um, 
it's the cherry on top of a very well-dressed, delicious Sunday. It's not the whole Sunday. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm able to, to in, enjoy it much more. I think than than when I was when I was younger. Absolutely well deserved, Elmaya. You too. You, you just won the Colin Lowe Award um, for Keep Keep It Sun. Uh, and last year you won two Canadian Screen Awards for The Body Remembers When the World Broke Open, um, that you shared with Kathleen Hepburn. So and that was an incredible film as well. So my question is, since Tracy, you mentioned as well that for the longest time it's what you wanted. Right now, what do these awards, the industry recognition, mean to you both? Do you think the industry is awarding enough visibility to Indigenous filmmakers? Uh, <clears throat> well, thank you. Well, as, <laughs> let me just say, let me just say, um, you're talking to two women here who have kind of cleaned up. All so the awards, I, yes. I, <laughs> I, I would say that you know the rec the recognition is there, and it's and I'm. I'm I'm personally so thrilled. I mean, the, the Canadian Screen Awards it's it's peer voted, right? So it's it's our peers in the industry who are recognizing our work, and that that feels incredible and and feels very welcoming and inclusive. So so I'll 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 say that. But I and and there's Elmaya and myself, but there's there's so many of our other colleagues who are really just doing so well. Um, all over the place with shorts and docs and tv so it's it's our time and i'm i'm so excited to see year after year what what we're going to be putting out into the world um yeah i i, I think it's so important that we're receiving this recognition because uh it influences the uh breadth and longevity of um, the support that we're going to receive within the industry as Indigenous indigenous creatives. I wish I had the number in front of me, but uh, this year there were dozens of Indigenous creatives who took home uh, CSAs, um, which I think just speaks to the fact that there is a wealth of talent and um, skill within our communities. Um, and those opportunities need to continue to come our way because there isn't a lack of, of talent or skill. There's a lack of opportunity. And so when we receive these recognitions uh, in the form of awards, um, I think it's it's really, uh, first of all, valid. Um, but second of all, just really important um, because it, it, it says to funding bodies and broadcasters that Indigenous stories matter, that audiences care uh, to, to, to witness our stories on screen um, and that we deserve space within this industry. Mm -hmm. It is, like you mentioned, it is truly a pivotal time for these stories to come out and for these conversations to be happening more and more BIPOC stories, Indigenous stories, definitely to be told. And I've heard you say this before as well, and like you mentioned now, that there's still so much work to be done. Uh, what kind of stories would you say are you hoping to get told and how can these stories I would say, how can these stories help advance Indigenous rights and help especially even tackle the challenges that are faced by communities in our country, like the missing and murdered girls or even clean water access? Well, I, I, I'll i jump in to start. Um, I just think that we have been shut out for so long that there are just so many stories. I mean, you you list a few there, but every community has its stories and every community has its storytellers. So... I, I just think, as Elmaya said, we have decades worth of catching up to do. Um, 
so I want to hear it all. I it's it's we've been silenced for for far too long, and our storytellers know the stories that that need to be out there. So so doors need to keep opening, and I I want to hear it all. Yeah, same. Ditto. <laughs> 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 Thank you for sharing your stories and bringing with us on the big screen. I'm definitely sure it makes a difference uh, to your community, to all of us, the filmmakers, the audiences who are just watching it. So thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you and thank much. you for joining me on Maple Popcorn. It was truly an honor to talk to you both. You made me cry, which I really, really don't do that often. <laughs> so thank you. I love making people cry. So. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Maple Popcorn, and if you did, don't forget to subscribe on the platform of your choice and give us a rating and review where possible. I'm Mariska Fernandez, thank you for joining us today. Maple Popcorn is produced by The Brand is Female and powered by Telefilm Canada. For more Canadian film inspiration, head to telefilm.ca slash see it all. Follow Telefilm Canada and The Brand is Female on all social platforms.